I love Granberry. And I, I've had the, the privilege of, of living here since August of 16, which I'll, I'll tell you about. But I just want to briefly kind of move through how I got to where I am today. Um, my name's Sam, and I serve at Stonewater Church as they've just recently retitled re, uh, me. And my job is senior director of campuses. So my responsibility is helping all of our campuses be on the same page. Uh, oftentimes when you have multiple campuses or uh, versions of your organization, it, things can begin to take on a life of their own at each place, and then you become so divided, you're no longer the same thing. And I experienced that at a church in Lafayette, Louisiana. I was the worship pastor there, but I watched that happen to the degree that we had to launch the campus as a church plant. It got so far off of where we were headed, we had to launch it. So that's what I'm here doing, but the, I'm also here launching a ministry called Back Porch Ministries, which is meant uh, to minister to wounded ministers. Uh, life happens, and so often if you're in ministry, if you're in a vocational ministry, you realize that the church oftentimes looks at us and expects us to be bulletproof. We don't hurt, we don't struggle, bad things don't happen in our lives, Bad choices don't come out of our brains, and, and so we're kind of expected to have it all together. And, and so I've got a heart for us, for us. Um, you know, I was raised in the Houston area, uh, youngest of four. We have a legacy in our family of Jesus, and I'm so grateful for that. Uh, three of the four kids have been actively involved in vocational ministry, and the other serves her church ridiculously well and faithfully. And um, so we, we come from, from a lot uh, of that kind of thing. And I went to, I thought I was going to be a, an athlete. Um, but then when I met Jesus, uh, he said, no, I've got something else for you. So then I thought it was a musician and I thought I was going to be a singer or have a band or whatever. I thought, you know, I was like, hey, just like any other kid who has a little bit of talent. And then I went to Baylor. And at, at that point is where the Lord began to wrap my heart in his hand. And he began to show me what it meant to walk with him, to have my own faith, not my parents' faith. Our children start with our faith, but it must become their faith. And if it doesn't, that's when they leave the church. And that's when my faith began to be my own. And I began to have a real relationship with Jesus that wasn't under the umbrella of my dad's relationship or my mom's relationship. And I, that's when I, I began to lead worship, but I had zero clue what I was doing. Uh, I was just singing the songs I'd sung in my youth group or at youth camp, and I could play the piano and sing, and, and I just began to do those things. And then there was a, a Bible study that rose up at Baylor called Choice, and it was a parachurch ministry called Choice Ministries, and and it existed to lead college students to Jesus. That's what, we, that's what we did. It was led by a guy named Louis Giglio. And so I, I began to lead worship for that, and my heart just blew up. And that's when God's calling for the next bunch of years in my life took hold. And that was to make much of him and help others do the same. And so I began to lead worship, and, and time moved on, and I left, I finished at Baylor, and I kept leading worship for choice, 
and I was on the road leading worship all over the country and got to go international, do a few things, and, and was involved with a thing called Passion, and Louis Giglio had started that, and, and I was part of that whole beginning. We were moving towards one day, in the, uh, which was a, a, we wanted 40,000 students in a field in Tennessee, and the vehicle to get there was a thing called Passion Student Conferences, and they were co college conferences, and we, we began to do that, and just we watched life change happen across the nation in the collegiate ministries, and that has given birth to all kinds of other things over the years. I, I moved on into that, and at the same time, I was forming my old, own band, and I was traveling, and got married in 91, um, and in 98, uh, I came home from having been on the road, and my wife looked at me, and she said, I've had an affair, and I want a divorce. And it was over almost that quick. When the dust settled, she'd had several. Um, and she just decided she was leaving. She was going to pursue that which her flesh desired. And she did. We had a three-year-old son. And I didn't know what to do with myself. I was raised in this legacy of Jesus where divorce didn't happen. In our entire family, uh, Spread out across cousins, we had two divorces in the whole thing, and there was a lot of people and a lot of marriages. And having been raised in a, what I call a little red brick church, which is a conservative, this is kind of who we are right here. Um, really, for in my church growing up, I'm, I hope this is not offensive to anyone. I don't mean it to be so. But our, our trinity was God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. And we talked about the Holy Spirit. We didn't teach about the Holy Spirit. We didn't it, actually mention the Holy Spirit. We didn't talk about him. And that was the, what I had grown up with. Divorce was the scarlet letter. It was the, you could have somebody be a murderer or a drug dealer and come to Jesus and we would celebrate that. But if somebody was ever divorced, they were going to hell straight there, do not pass go. And that's what I experienced in that little church, watching it. I watched it happen. So here I am now, and that's my world. And I didn't know what to do with myself, and the church didn't know what to do with me either. Uh, I'm taking that off because it keeps peeling off. Um, and so I, 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 all I heard the Lord say was, Sam, I want you to sit down for a time. I had some national recognition as it pertains to the worship world, um, I just heard him say, I want to do something in you, and I want to heal your broken heart, because I was crushed. So that's what I did. I laid out a ministry, became the principal drummer at my church, helped their band, become, helped our band become a band there at that church. That church walked with me faithfully. I had a group of guys, my dad, my brother, and a, and a few other men, close friends, that really walked with me during that time. And... I thought I had been disqualified by her decision. Because again, that's what I had known. That's not what the word says, by the way. But that's what had happened. And that's what I'd watched. And, and so the, the one restorative um, story I'll tell you is this. We were, we were scheduled in late 98 to lead worship and have an, on a morning. And then that night, we're going to do a whole night of worship for this church a great church in Rosenberg, Texas called Church of Living Waters. 
And we had been there three years in a row, and it was a party. We would, would downbeat start, and we were just worshiping, and it was a great time. And we would start by me going in the morning and singing special music is what we called it, and then that night the band would come. And so that morning I went and I sang this song, this is years ago, dates me, by a guy named Michael English called Save Me. And the song says, save me, I need your love to rescue me, save me, won't you save me? Only your love can set me free. And I felt in that moment in time that I was a captive to what I didn't know, but I was broken. And I felt like the calling that the Lord had so clearly put in my life was now disqualified. It was flushed down the toilet. And I went and I sang this song and I literally said to them, and it just popped out of my mouth before I could even think. Uh, the intro starts as a long intro and I said, this is my heart's cry. The bastard of the universe has come against me and my family. And this is my heart's cry. And then I sang the song. And I, you know, I almost wet. It's real upbeat, rocking song, but I'm about to bawl in the whole thing. And, and this is like eight days after the bomb has dropped. And I walk off the stage. It was a really high stage. They, did, they had a school there, so it was in their kind of gymnatorium thing. And I walked off the, uh, and sat over far, far stage right. And um, the pastor stepped up to this. He preached with a handheld. And he stepped up to the front of the stage, and he took a breath to speak. And he just stopped. And he was like, I'm looking at you. He was just looking over the people's heads. And I'm way over there thinking, what is happening right now? And I turned and looked at the people, and, and everyone was just like, this is normal. I mean, they're just kind of looking at him. And then all of a sudden, he just turns and looks at me. He walks across the stage, stands directly in front of me, and begins to say, he begins to say things that only the Holy Spirit could have put in his heart right then, that no one in the room could have known, because I hadn't told anybody. And in that moment, so many things became clear. The Holy Spirit moves in ways. I had already grown a lot in the Holy Spirit by this time. But at that moment, I was like, okay, Lord, you are active. And you're doing some things. And he was redefining his call on my life. And he, the, the Lord just said to me through this man, no one can rob you of the calling of which I gave you. And it was, that, it was the seed of hope that birthed in my heart right then. At the same time, I sat down out of ministry, was with my church for six months. Fast forward six months, and the Lord says, hey, I want you to go lead worship at this church. It was actually five months, and lead worship at this church and just to fill in. And I felt like I'd come home. It was a great morning. The Lord was active and moving and people were engaged in worship and the preacher was awesome as he spoke the word and went home and the Lord said hey you're gonna join their staff and the next day the guy called me and said will you come be our worship pastor and I was like well let's meet and so we met talked at the same time I'm making preparations to go back on the road for our engagements my band I had had my own band was traveling without me and so I rejoined them in, in uh, June. Prayed, 
met with the Lord a lot, and he said, yeah, you're going to go on staff there in September. And, and he just told me, this is what you tell the senior pastor, and he's going to be good with it. His name is Ken. He said, you just tell him. And I was like, okay. So I called Ken. Hey, I'll be in town next weekend. Let's meet. We met, and I said, this is what the Lord says. And he's like, we're in. I started <laughs> September 5th. Our band uh, continued. We met all of our engagements through 99 because we were booked all the way through December. And at the same time, there was a girl in my band that was like a little sister to me. And like I, if you ask her and the other girl that sang in our band, they were like, Sam was our big brother, and he was brutal. <laughs> I was. I was like the big brother. I can mess with you, but nobody else can mess with them. If you're going to mess with Christy or Shelly, you've got to come through me. But one day I walked into a meeting I called, and like there was a spotlight on Christy, and the Lord in that instant said, this is the future, you're going to marry her, and you're going to have children with her. And it freaked me out. Because I looked at her like a little sister. That thought had never crossed my mind. And that's exactly what happened. We went home, we began to talk, the Lord said, this is what we're going to do, and he raised that up in her, and I go on staff with Faithbridge in Spring, Texas, uh, she moves to Houston. Um, we get married in 2000. And the Lord is beginning uh, to do all kinds of restoring things. I was at Faithbridge for eight years. And in that time, I got many calls from other ministers. A lot of worship world or ministry world that I had made connections with over the years across the nation. And they would call me and say things like, hey, I uh, understand that you've gone through this divorce and this is what happened. And I said, yeah. And they're like, the same thing's happening to me or the thing, same thing's happening to my brother or whatever. Can, can I hook you up to talk with them? And I began to have this reach into people's world. And, and, there, and there's, a, there's a, a thing called Celebrate Recovery. I, I'm sure some of you know about that. And in that, there's an adage that says, God never wastes a hurt. And that's what I began to see. He began to connect me with people who were hurt to connect me with people who had been like me and had the rug ripped out from underneath them, and they were saying, Lord, what do I do? And for the most part in those early years, it was people who were in my seat. But what began to come was beginning to meet with people who maybe they were the perpetrator. Maybe they were the person who stuck their foot in it. But here's the deal. The Lord doesn't turn us back on those people. The Lord makes a way to restoration. But so often we're afraid to pursue the way to restoration for fear of how it will make our church or our organization look. And I, I just began to move towards that. And there was no purpose other than I had a heart for them. So I was in spring for eight years and then in Sugarland for uh, uh, almost three years and then in Lafayette, Louisiana for six years and during this time more and more people would fly to Lafayette to hang out with me and and we would just have a, a great time and I got to watch God do so many healing moments in fellow pastors and ministers and marriages and lives and it was it was fun to watch God show off when the Lord moves as only he can move there is almost nothing there is nothing like that and, and so it was incredible. So 
I began to be in my church and in, in worship. I was raising up worship leaders and players and singers and setting them loose. We had three venues and just helping them do that. Fast forward to January of 16. All, all through 15, we kept asking the Lord, can, can we do this? No, be faithful. I mean, I had that conversation with the Lord half a dozen times in 15. And during that, the Lord began to call up different people that I got to meet with and, and minister to them who had gone through things like I was doing. And the little idea of what would it be like to minister that way purposefully, to have a ministry that that's what we do. Because I didn't have visions of being a 55 or 60-year-old worship pastor in a, in a contemporary church for sure. And really, I didn't, I really, though I was, had been leading worship for, by this time for 26, 27 years, I, what God wanted to do with me, I didn't care. I wasn't tied to being a worship pastor. I just wanted to be faithful. I wanted to be where he wanted, when he wanted. And so I just began to ask the Lord about that. We get to January of 16, and the Lord, it was so funny, because over a four-day period, I had four conversations, consecutive days, where six different jobs were kind of laid before me. What would you think about coming and doing this? Nothing that I had reached out and asked for. Literally, the Lord was just doing it, and none of them were worship positions. I was like, okay, God, whatever you want to do, I want to do. The following Monday, I got fired out of nowhere. And our words going into 16, my wife and I, were truth and clarity. She was fighting mad. She was, she's, she's ready to go. <laughs> and I said, through our tears, I said, the Lord can be no more clear than we are done here. Our faith has to be in him, not in what we perceived happened. And she was like, she just dried up like that. I said, you're exactly right. Okay. We packed my office, and I was out of there. And I took a 30-day sabbatical self-funded. Because in 18 years of church ministry and 12 years of being on the road ministry, I had never taken a sabbatical. And so I just sat with the Lord every day for hours at a time. And the Lord began to unfold what we now call Back Porch Ministries. And the way it came to that is, I would, gonna, somebody was going to come over, and I would say to my wife, hey, we're going to sit on the back porch today, tonight. And she would just be like, oh, and do what? Well, I'm going to be talking with this person or that person. She's like, oh, I get it. And then we would just tell the kid, we have twins that are 16 now, and then I have a 23-year-old. And they, everybody knew if dad's on the back porch with somebody, we're going to steer clear. And we would just, I began to do ministry on the back porch. And so fast forward now to April of 16, and my wife looks at me, and she's, we were trying to be all, should it be called Isaiah 61 ministry? Should it be all these, we were trying to be all whatever, I don't know, too creative or something. And she said, it should be back porch ministries because that's where the Lord has worked in our entire marriage. And I was like, you are exactly right. And so we have a 501c3 called Back Porch Ministries. And we birthed it. And when I was on the road, me and other guys who were on the, road, on the road I was friends with, we would always say, move where your friends are or your family. Well, 
her sister lives here. And her husband was pastor at Rainbow Baptist Church, and then he was on staff at Stonewater. And we had been coming here at least once a year for years to hang out for a week because we're very, very close. My brother-in-law is one of my people. And so we would just come and enjoy this place. So we just looked at each other and said, what about Granbury? We've already been to Stonewater. It could be a place where we go to church, but we're going to do this ministry. And to make a living, I'm going to consult in the worship world. And so that's what we started. We moved here in August 16. I signed a contract with a church in Weatherford to be a consultant with their worship pastor to just help him be better at what he did. He was great on stage, but not great with people or, or building an organization. And so I came to do that, and then he resigned, and they asked me to be their interim, and I was their interim for almost two years unexpectedly. Had no idea that was going to happen. So I wasn't consulting anymore. I was full-time there in, in Weatherford. All the while, building relationships here. My, my family was going to church at Stonewater. My twins are actually interning at the Glen Rose campus, and they lead worship and lead the student ministry. And they began to do that, and I began to just knit with the staff there, even though I was up here. So we had to push pause on back porch ministries because this was a full-time thing. And then there came a point where I was like, I know this is what the Lord said, so we've got to create space for that. So made an arrangement with them to do that. So we are almost finished redoing our house. We bought the home we bought because it has an external entrance to a space they added on before we were ever there. It has a living area and a bedroom. And we just built a bathroom and has external space for us to host somebody. And they can come, they can come through the house or they can go through the gate and have their own space. And it will be free. We don't want them to pay a thing. My long-term vision is actually to be able to get a, uh, to have an intake process through our website that we're fixing to launch. And, and let people, my long-term vision is to even pay for them to get here. Our heart, you probably are aware of several places and organizations to get involved with to go through healing. But many times it costs thousands of dollars. And we don't see us as a, ourselves as a one-stop shop. We see ourselves as a step in the process to complete and total healing and freedom. And so we want to make it accessible. And for people to be able to come and, free, and, and it to be free and for us to partner with churches like yours and to, and to be connect points for people you know who need ministry. Maybe it's you that needs it or is going to need it. I don't know. But we're so excited to be here, to be a part of it, to be useful, to think outside the box. And, and I'll close with this. I realized over time that, that Isaiah 61 was huge for us. And I just want to read it. Because it's really where God has me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he lists things. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me and he has anointed you to bring good news to the poor, to set the and uh, to 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 bind up the brokenhearted, and he sent us to do that, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, 
to comfort all who mourn. He's called that of all of us in this room. To grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness. And those we work with, every single one of them, all of our parishioners, all the people who come to our organizations, they can become oaks of righteousness. And planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. And the next part is the result of doing that. What happens? They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up from former devastations. And they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. And so now I get this great privilege of living in both worlds. To give leadership at Stonewater and, and, and pour into the campus pastors and the campuses themselves. And to build Back Porch Ministries. And to create this place that's not church, but it's alongside church. And to walk with other churches. So not, no matter what you're doing now, I just want to encourage you to think like you've never done it. And what would it take to do it better? To think outside the box. Because we've always done it that way doesn't mean it's the best way. So let's risk as the church, big C, what does it take to reach our people, to reach the people that God will put in our laps? Don't shoot the wounded. He mentioned that. I'll close with this little quick story. A friend of mine was raised on a chicken farm, and he and his dad were... He was just kind of a wild child. He shot everything that was everywhere, and I mean, they all kinds of stuff. So one day he gets a BB gun, and, um, oh, excuse me, one day he's in the chicken uh, house, 11,000 chickens, hello. And he's walking through that, and there's all this noise, and he, he's wondering what's going on. He walks down, and he sees one hen with a wound on her head, and all the other hens are attacking it. And right before his eyes, they kill it. And he's little, like eight years old, freaks him out. Dad, what is going on? And his dad talks about just that's in this kind of environment, that's how chickens are. It's the survival of the fittest. That is weakness. They're going to kill it. Spread out, uh, move forward to the spring, and he has this BB gun, and there's a blue jay in the backyard. And the blue jay lands, and he shoots it uh, out of the tree, and it drops, but it's not dead. And he walks over, and, he, and he's going to do the thing you do. He put it out of its misery, and he walks over, and another blue jay dive bombs him. Bam! Right in the head. And he ducks, and here comes another one. He and he runs back in the house, yelling for his dad. His dad comes running, and he said, look. And his dad's like, what? And he goes, that blue jay just, and he literally is bleeding. And they watch as four or five other blue jays land on the ground next to this other one and all turn their back to it. As if to say, you got to come through us. And he's, he said it, was, it marked me because so often in the church we act more like chickens than we do like blue jays. And that's what I want for us. That's what I want for you in our ministries. 
to risk doing what it takes to move towards restoration with our people. Thanks for letting me be here today. I appreciate it very much. Thank <laughs> you.